3: Coffee.
1: Oh yeah. 730. <laughs> Feeling good.
3: <laughs> it's been one of those weeks.
1: One of those weeks.
3: Just tap it in. I'm just sticking with water right now, but that will be uh switching out pretty soon. Something a little bit heavier. <laughs> oh my god. Uh and welcome back to <sighs> What are we doing? Hmm. Welcome back to Little <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, I feel like at this point it's like one of those blooper reels where you're like, e- "Welcome back, uh, no, not, e-, like, well, you know." So. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, uh, and welcome back to Little Cuts, our weekly mini-sode. Yeah, that's what we're doing, where we are digging into the things that we've been watching recently. I'm Terry,
1: and I'm Mary Beth, and this week we are talking kids killing each other, mm. uh, a virtual found footage festival. Movies with the Dawn in the title, <laughs> and we're ending our folk horror coverage with a First Nation folk horror.
3: Heck yeah. Oh, Woo-hoo! boy. Um, I know what this movie is, but uh, and I wanted to watch it, and I just hadn't get, gotten a chance to. But I want to know, what is this? Kids Killing Kids. How was it?
1: So this is The Innocence by Eskil Vought. He told me mm. how to say his last name today, because uh, <laughs> I'm an American. So th- he is the writer of... Thelma, which is the coming of age psychic lesbian movie. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I didn't realize that. Yeah. And he also wrote the worst person in the world, which Mm -hmm. uh, premiered at Cannes last year. And we, I saw it. Did you see it at Sundance?
3: I did not. I wanted to, and I ran out of time.
1: It wrecked my whole life. It's such. It's really good, but now he is directing and writing this movie, The Innocents. Um, So it's very funny contrast between the two movies because Worst Person in the World is like an incredible like romance movie, and this is like kids with psychic powers psychologically tormenting each other. Like, (laughs) so it's literally what it is. So it takes place in this apartment building. Uh, A young girl moves in with her family. Her sister is nonverbal. She is on the. She's, she is autistic and is nonverbal. She can't she can't actually feel pain. Okay. So when her sister is mad at her, she puts like glass in her shoes and shit to like, oh. And so it's like right off the bat, this like young girl, she's like eight, is kind of torturing her nonverbal sister. Jesus. Oh, no, she can feel pain, but she can't vocalize when she feels pain. So she can't tell anyone when she's in pain and like can't indicate it. So like she'll have, she had glass in her shoes and then they came home and there was blood, like she had blood all over her feet and stuff like that. So it's, 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 it's already like off to a pretty intense start. Uh, and yeah. then she meets this her name's Ida. She meets this young boy in her apartment complex and then she meets this young girl named Aisha and then so they all become friends and they all discuss they discover that they all have these weird psychic abilities. And her sister is able to communicate with so this is a problem I have a little bit of a problem I have with this movie in terms of how they represent disability and like nonverbal person mm. who has like special powers like it's mm. kind of a
2: mm-hmm. the
1: reason i don't feel it's it's hard because like it's it's not just her like everyone has psychic powers and they can all end up communicating cuz at first it seemed just like this one little girl could speak for the the nonverbal autistic disabled kid and like they have a psychic connection and it felt like the, like the mystical disabled person mm-hmm. movie mm-hmm. but All of them have powers and can end up communicating, so it feels a little less, like, exploitative in that way, but it's still kind of a weird, it's still kind of weird, I I think, a little bit, and, like, how the powers, and not even the powers, but the girl that she can, like, really speak to, like, helps give her words so she can talk and she's no longer nonverbal, so it's, like, a little iffy in the in the disability representation department like it's not yeah it's not the worst but it's not it doesn't feel good but that aside it's these kids are like ages seven to ten and they're just absolutely torturing (laughs) each other and like doing really fucked up shit to each other and their parents and other kids and animals like there's some animal cruelty in it that's pretty hard to watch like it's a very hard to watch movie but it's really well done yeah if you're looking for something like kind of fucked up to watch i feel like that's that's the one
3: Cause that's out today, right?
1: It's out today. Yeah, it's rough. It's a rough watch, but it's really good. Yeah, he was just like pulled no punches in terms of putting kids through absolute hell. It's kind of incredible I love to see that. <laughs> kind of incredible. Well, and, like I, ta- I actually interviewed him, and he was like, the kids were really like professional and smart, and like they knew what was going on, and you know, I don't think he let them watch the, the end product, but he said the kids were like really professional and like. Didn't, you know, they were really able to switch on and off, uh, really well. Okay. Like, what kind of I'm mm-hmm. just like, so that's good. Cause I always wonder when these kids are like fucking each other up. I'm like, are you guys okay? Like, right, what? right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So that's the innocence. It's out now. It's streaming. So if you liked Thelma, it's like that, but worse. I did like Thelma. Of, yeah. Um, but. Some movies with dawn in the title.
3: <laughs> uh, okay, so I, I'm t- I'm trying to finish up my my coverage of Panic Fest, and mm-hmm. I was looking back at the movies that I really wanted to talk about because there's there one that I really I was like, ooh, I should talk about that one. But then last minute decision, I watched uh, this movie called Dawn Breaks Behind the Eyes.
1: Oh, I need to watch it.
3: And I went into it with very little expectation. I was like, it's an hour and thirteen minutes. It's bad. It was only an hour and 13 minutes. It was kind yeah. of my my thought process behind it. And boy, oh boy, did I love this movie.
1: I have heard this. I have not watched it yet. And I know like between you saying something and then Ariel Fisher tweeted something really positive about it. So I think I'm going to watch that soon because...
3: Yeah. And so I can't I really... Things. I can't really... Okay. I can't really talk about the movie a whole lot because it does something that is... Very surprising and made me go from being like, this movie is interesting to this movie is fucking fantastic. Because I thought like, okay, this title is very Yellow. evocative and, um, of a, of a certain time period and a style. And so the film kind of starts out almost like it is an homage to Hammer or an homage to like the gothic fiction of
1: mm. the like. Okay
3: early thirties and then revisited in like the sixties and seventies um, where it is about this castle that this woman inherits and she goes there with her husband who is an absolute dick and the castle is in complete disrepair and they show up to it and he is like walking through the castle. Like this place is shit. I cannot believe you brought me here. I want to go back to the hotel Um, So, there's that going on at the same time as we're seeing glimpses of people that – ghosts that are living inside the castle – and it seems like they have been there for forever. You hear voices like, why are we still here? And then other ones saying, we've got all the time in the world. And so we're like watching these two people, it's ex- kind of exploring this castle. She's walking around with a candelabra that's lit. Oh, and she's like exploring yeah. it. He has a little lamp and he's going down to the basement and he finds his chest and he sees some kind of horrible visage behind the chest and he drops his keys. Like there's all this kind of stuff going on. And then it does something. And I thought this was going to be a very staid movie, a very like demure movie, and there is all of a sudden some very explicit sex and there's some very explicit bursts of gore and there's some very explicit narrative changes that went me go excuse me, what is this movie that I'm watching? And right. it does it a couple times and it remind like the closest I can Explain to this movie is that it, it reminded me of watching a German version of a Mickey Reese movie.
1: Oh fuck!
3: Yes, yeah, so we had we had Mickey uh, Mickey we had Mickey Reese on, and he he directed recently the t- two movies that um I really liked, and I think you really liked them too. Climate of the Hunter* and then *Agnes*. Uh, yeah. and so I feel like it's a similar vibe in some ways, and that's all I'm gonna say about it. I don't. I'm hoping that it starts to play at more festivals or has a release. I really love this movie.
1: Hell yeah, okay, I need to watch it.
3: And then the other Dawn movie, so I mean, I as well just go through both of them, and this one I know you've seen is Dawning.
1: Ugh, Jesus Christ. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> My initial reaction, immediately.
3: Yeah, which is about Hygiene Park, a trauma therapist who um, has to go back to her family childhood countryside farm to console her younger sister who is heartbroken. And this movie, boy, what do you say about this movie?
1: Uh, uh, I,
3: watching it when I did was probably not the best decision because I mean, I've been, I've been kind of vocal on Twitter. I've been going through some family health issues and stuff like that. And there's like, this movie is definitely a movie about family and it is also about kind of trauma of family, and it's about dealing with a lot of a lot of family trauma and PTSD, yeah. and it was very sad <laughs> and scary.
1: Yeah, uh, <laughs> I don't know how to talk about it without spoiling it, but it I watched it at a, also at a time where. I am going through some weird realizations about my family
0: Mm -hmm. and
1: kind of how I was raised. And this Mm -hmm. movie hit home for a lot of stuff that I'm like processing. Mm -hmm. And I was not expecting that at all. No. In terms of like what it tackles. And, um, yeah, it kind of hit me like a truck. There's a lot of movies doing that to me this year. Like, that are like addressing my very weird specific trauma with my family. And I kind of love it. Cause I'm like, okay, cool. I'm not the only one going through this shit. Like mm-hmm. things that I thought were like very weird and like isolating. It's kind of cool to see, even though it fucking sucks at the same time, it's also kind of validating.
3: Yeah. So, uh, I mean, the, I, I think the, one of the things that I can say is that the movie opens up and she's uh hygiene is, is, is a, a kid. It starts like when she's a, a child and her father is is leaving, and her mother is begging him to stay. And he gets in this truck, he drives off, and he ends up killing himself. And then it's ten years later, and Hygiene is now um, a trauma therapist in New York. And we, her first scene of her as an adult is she is um, counseling um, a man who has like this very like insightful bit about talking about his father, who also had um, a lot of trauma. And he says that if I saw him as a person, not my dad, maybe I could have done something to help when you're a kid, your dad's not a person. He's your dad, not a person with their own childhood pains and emotions. And that right there, I think cuts to the heart of what this movie is about in a, in a very gut punchy and insightful and incisive way. Uh, and there's a lot to do with nightmares and a lot to do with not being able to wake up from some kind of dream that might actually be reality in a way. And that also like nightmares and dreams being kind of like trying to escape some hidden truths in your past. And so there's a lot going on. It's very, it scared me. I, there's a couple of times where like I, I definitely was holding my breath. There's really some really intense moments. Um, and I honestly think this guy would do a great, uh, the director is Young Min Kim. And I think he would be a fantastic choice to direct a nightmare, a nightmare on elm street movie because the way this movie constantly confuses you if, is wh- whether she is asleep or awake is incredibly discombobulating that's
1: and so this I didn't movie even think about that that's incredible
3: Was I just intense really.
1: yeah it's a lot <laughs> it's, it's a pretty emotionally taxing experience <laughs> and
3: i was not expecting it to be that way <laughs>
1: I ha- I knew that there was a big uh, twist. I didn't know what it was though.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, really good. Hoping it continues its its journey again. Another short movie. There was a lot of short movies at I Panic Fest, and I'm here for it. An hour and thirteen was this movie, and was that really it, an hour and thirteen? Yeah.
1: Jesus Christ! Packs and it lot? like
3: it packs a whole lot in a short runtime. So if this plays near you, definitely put this on your radar um, to watch. Yeah, I feel yeah.
1: like Korean horror, this is a really cool look at like Korean American identity and Korean with mm, Korean mm, horror mm, tropes. Mm. It's pretty cool. So,
3: okay, I want to hear about this virtual found footage festival.
1: So, okay, a unnamed f- footage festival. I went obviously this mm. year in person, and then this year they also did another festival last weekend. It was the live stream.
3: Mm-hmm. They did
1: a virtual festival last year because of the pandemic, and it was so successful that they did it, They're doing it again, so they basically had half the films play in person at in San Francisco, and then half of them online, which is amazing because I think it's just like much more accessible and it's kind of a fun like community experience. I was watching them all day mm-hmm. um, with people, and there's like a chat, and it was really cool. But there is some really really good stuff that I hadn't seen before. And so the first one um, is the Andy Baker tape, which was the first Is this first about movie. the uh,
3: the food blogger? Yes. I want to hear about this.
1: Okay. So, and I thought of you when I was watching it. Because um, <laughs> this is the first like food blogger found footage movie I've seen. Um, so the film is a guy who's a food blogger, he is trying to take his his videos and he was trying to pitch to the Food Network. Mm -hmm. And he has just found out that he has a half-brother named Andy. And so he is going on a road trip to meet Andy and kind of like integrate this into his like pilot episode of his – or no, mm -hmm. it's like he wants to do like a video about it for his channel – And so he goes to meet his, his brother, his half brother, and like, he's a little bit weird, but the chemistry between these two guys is absolutely incredible. Like, they have this really great rapport where they feel like brothers, and they have, they, they really kind of hit this awkwardness of like, we just met each other, but we're related, and it's kind of like a tentative relationship, but we also are very close. It's like this like instant chemistry that's a little bit uncomfortable that they, established so well and like you know something weird is going to happen because it's a found footage movie but it's like you almost are like how could anything like it's i don't know and then so they end up driving to baltimore and going on a road trip and like film and like they're filming each other um and eating and all this stuff and then it all kind of like goes to shit and Andy obviously is a little bit uh, wild, but it kind of goes into some really interesting directions that I wasn't expecting. Like you obviously know something's gonna get fucked up with these guys, but like it goes in an interesting direction in terms of like how it it all plays out. Um, okay, I really li- like. I was surprised. To- like it's so good, and it's it's short, but. Because the chemistry between these two actors is so good. Like, it makes it just, like, so such an engaging watch. Like, t- it's, like, a ca- really interesting character study of the two of them. And uh, I was really, really impressed by that one. So everyone look out for that, because that shit is good. I um, really
3: want to see it. You know me, food and horror, my two loves.
1: I know. I, I, they oh, They are eating the whole time, and it's just, like, it made me so hungry. And it was... It's they do a good job of that, too. It like feels like a food blog because they're just eating delicious food. And then another one I wanted to shout out that actually there's two. So one uh, is Landlocked, which I watched at Nightstream last year. But I rewatched this. I rewatched as part of the festival, obviously. And I was reminded how much I loved it. So it's like a hybrid. It's a hybrid found footage movie where this guy goes to um, his dad passes away. And he goes to, I think I probably talked about this before on the podcast, but he his dad passes away, leaves the house like empty. It's gonna get demolished. And so his son goes and this is the director Paul Owen's brother, and this is their actual old family home. He goes into the home and is like finds all these old videotapes, and they're actually home videos from their childhood, and then he finds a camera that he can use and like as he films the house, he gets access to memories of the past. And it's really good. It's, this, it's just a cool meditation on like memory and getting lost in the past. And it's a really cool combination of like home video, I think like Seder vibes, but a little less exploitive <laughs> in terms of that. Oh, sorry. I know. I love it. I love Seder. I love it. It's mm-hmm. just a weird movie. Yeah, you talk to the director, stuff. but there are yeah. some
3: weird things about it.
1: But yeah, I just was reminded how much I love that movie. And then um, wanted to shout out the The movie called Doister, which is a Flemish found footage movie that is these three students are, you know, doing their final project. They're doing their final project on a 17th century executioner, um, Johannes, I think, Doister. And as they are doing research into it, things get kind of fucking weird. Again, follows a kind of similar found footage path, but the end is absolutely bananas. It's fucking crazy. So, like, it's good. It's, it's good leading up. And then the ending is like, holy shit, what? So, yeah, those are the, th- like a couple others I'd already seen. So, but those are the three that like really stood out. Also, the Barbados project, which is like kind of silly, but it is like a Barbados, like it's Far Barbados found footage movie. It's a creature feature. It's got, it's wild. So, so like the Blair get that one in which show.
3: Project, the Barbados project, like that, kind of, or?
1: Kind of. It was called the Trident at first, and then they okay. changed it to the Barbados project, and okay. it's like, it's wild.
3: <laughs> I'm looking at 90B, It looks fun.
1: It's fun. It's like a little nuts and like very graphics heavy and like not the best graphics, but it's got a lot uh-huh. of heart and it's like balls to the wall. I think it's it's fun. It's just like a fun time. Hell yeah! Yeah. So it was really fun. It was just, movies doesn't
3: have to be like. Oh not, yeah. You know dark. So that's kind of cool.
1: Yeah. So there's some really good stuff. It was really cool. So I'm really excited for that. Like I hope yeah. gets like more attention cuz like the Andy Baker tape was so good.
3: So uh, good. I really want to watch that I was really so bad. So
1: surprised how good it was.
3: So That was the one when I saw you tweeting it. I was like
1: if <gasps> well, I was like and like the two cute guys, like they're really cute. Oh, they're
3: adorable. <laughs> they're very Hello. Cute.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, all you need to throw in there Mary Beth, is cats and it'd be perfect. Food, yep. hot boys, cats and horror. That's there me no, right there. there That's are what no I want.
1: cats, unfortunately. No. But you know. Cute. Two out of three ain't bad.
3: <laughs> yeah,
1: but let's wrap up our folk horror, uh, yeah, series with the film Edge of the Knife. Well, it's what's really cool. What's really cool about this movie, Edge of the Knife, is that it is made by Canadian First Nations tribe, and it's there. It's in a language called Haida. I believe is what it's called. Haida. Yeah. That is nearly extinct. I think they said like maybe two dozen people actually speak it.
3: I, less than twenty five was what I saw online.
1: Okay, and cool. I, that might've,
3: that might have that might have increased since two thousand seventeen. I don't know, but like I, the the number I saw online was definitely less than twenty five people.
1: Yeah, and so it's like a very much like almost extinct language, and it is a really cool kind of artifact of being able to preserve that language and depict this culture and it's by First Nations directors and it's a really interesting look at like the folklore it's very much folklore because there's a lot with the folklore of these tribes that are living in like the kind of in um in Canada on on the coast,
3: yeah. So it's on it's on the western coast, and there's like if you look at like a map of, of uh, North America, there's like um, an archipelago that like stretches down from Alaska down and into Canada, and Haida Gwaii. Again, I apologize if I'm not pronouncing it correctly, is one of the Id- uh, islands on there. And that's where this takes place in 19th century. And it's based on a classic Haida story of a, basically a traumatized and stranded man who transforms into this word that I cannot pronounce. and I'm not going to butcher the language. A, basically, a wild man. Mm-hmm. And so the story kind of takes that very simple premise and spins a yarn about a man and his best friend. Families come together and meet at this island every, I guess, spring or summertime. And they go, they do, they, it's basically an annual fishing retreat and the, the one man has a son and then his best friend, Aditzi is incredibly attractive by the way, but neither here nor there, uh, is like the, his best friend and loves the kid as his own as well. And he kind of wants to go out to go fish for black cod with the son and Kwa, I think that's his name. Um, The the father of the kid doesn't want his son going out there, and so Aditi kind of sneaks the kid off on the boat. Bad things happen. The kid dies. The man ends up stranded and running away from it in trauma and hides in the woods and then... There's a lot of like little body horror moments of him sort of succumbing to potentially a spirit in the woods. At Uh at one point, there's like a supernatural element to it. But there's also a lot of physical body horror where the the guy is eating. There's one really grotesque moment where he eats like a, a sea urchin. Isn't it urchin? Yeah, And he gets like the spikes in his, in his mouth and he just, they leave in there and they just sort of start to fester as the movie continues. Um,
1: Well, yeah. And like, so it's also this really interesting meditation on grief and how people process grief and how in this group, especially it's like a collective experience and how everyone experiences grief together.
2: Mm -hmm. And
1: it's, it's pretty, it's pretty quiet for the most part. I think it's much more of this kind of really tragic drama with, these elements thrown in there, and the body horror stuff is really icky like, when it comes in towards the middle-ish. It's um, it ch- it throws it into horror territory, but at first it's just like this really meditative kind of quiet drama about these dynamics between the small group of people, and when they all come together, and also what happens when you don't necessarily follow like so. There's a part in this movie where Atizzi doesn't put the fish bones in the water all the way. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of I've, I interpreted that as a lot of the movie being almost like punishment for not doing the right parts and like the ritual or how or not even ritual, but just like she's cooking and it's like kind of just customary to do that. And so I kind of interpreted it part of this movie, at least as so like he didn't do the right stuff. So he got right. punished for not like for being lazy, essentially.
3: Mm-hmm. And not respecting the, the customs of, of his culture. Yeah.
1: So it's like subtly supernatural a lot. Again, it's like very subtly supernatural, again, in the beginning. It has a little Mm -hmm. bit more of like explicit context later, but it's an interesting kind of like supernatural undercurrent running through it. Um, But it is, it's pretty simple. It's a pretty simple, straightforward story. It's very
3: straightforward. Like the, the premise, if you read the premise in INBB, that is literally the story.
1: Yep then it kind of ends the way you'd expect.
3: But there's a lot that g- kind of goes on underneath the surface as y- as you were as you were talking about that I think makes it more thematically interesting than um yeah. than maybe a simple plot synopsis would would detail cuz it's basically he f- goes in the for- like if you were to spread it down to plot kid dies, man runs in forest, comes monster, villagers try to save him. Yep. But there's like some there's there's parts of it where it's like at what point can you forgive someone? Um, because Kwa obviously is that how you pronounce his name was it Kwa
1: I think so
3: cuz there's there's moments where where Kwa like doesn't want to cuz the villages, when when they discover that he is still alive and he has survived the winter the village wants to do basically an exorcism and and save his soul and Kwa is like, I don't really know if I want to do that because he killed my son. And so there's there's all that kind of stuff. And I, I it's interesting. I'm I'm glad that you brought up the kind of communal nature of, of grief because I wasn't even really thinking about that, but it, it kind of ties the whole thing together, because they collectively grieve together while this poor man was grieving in solitude. And at one point uh-huh. he actually does manage to get back to um their their little their little village and they've already left for the year and so he's literally there alone wallowing in his grief while everyone else has managed to kind of be there for each other and so there's that sort of push and pull of community that is is also very interesting
1: yeah and it is and yeah and exactly and like how i feel like there are obviously them in characters but the entire family or this group all feel mm-hmm. like characters you know what i mean like they all kind of get their their own personalities, their time to shine, and I think that's also really interesting. And in that it's while there are like a main, you know, a couple characters we focus on, it gives that attention to everybody. It again, which I think really emphasizes communal nature of this whole thing and how it affects everybody, not just the parents of the deceased kid, and not just a Nazi, a Nazi. It's everybody, and I think that's like a really interesting way to look at it and looking at grief, and mm-hmm. yeah. I really liked it. I think it's different. I think it's like very quiet, but I think it's beautifully done and I think like again more First Nations filmmaking that's preserving culture that you know who knows how like, you know when it might get become extinct. So it's and it's really cool that Shudder has it. Yeah, I think, you know, it's just it's it's really fucking cool to see the interpretations from other cultures and parts of the world of horror and what horror looks like to them. And like, we're just so lucky we get to access that and to watch it.
3: You know, and OK, so that that kind of transitions since we are ending it. Um, one thing I was kind of I kind of wanted to, to to potentially do it. I'm just bringing this on you <laughs> in the midst of a recording <laughs> is like since. You know, you just mentioned that it's kind of it's been kind of coo- it's kind of cool to see how other places around the world interpret full core and horror. Um, and so, as we're wrapping up, what what are your thoughts on the full core that we've seen from around the world—from you know, Laos to the UK to America to First Nation to all of that? Do you have? Russia. <laughs> to Russia, yeah, to Russia, like
1: I think it's really expanded my thoughts about folklore and like what it looks like, and also like I didn't really know a lot about early folklore, so it was really impressive for me to see, especially like not just like the blood on blood on Satan's Claw. We watched mm. V or Vi, mm-hmm. and then we also watched Lake of the Dead and. These like early interpretations of folklore in such different, interesting ways, but still kind of get to the core of these beliefs that have existed long before Christianity. And I think it's really interesting to see how Christianity has also affected different regions of the world, if you know what I mean, because a lot of these movies, even the ones that take place... In Southeast Asia, not so much in like the edge of the knife, but it's this it's an interesting look at how Christianity is rejected in a lot of like wants to be rejected in parts of the world and a lot of the world and kind of how it's overtaken a lot of the world. And I think not had that perspective before when watching folklore and just watching all of these now, I think really put even more of an emphasis on this like relationship with Christianity and how people interpret it in different ways. I thought that was really fascinating.
3: Yeah, I agree. And I I, I was also thinking about because we've seen some movies where, I mean, like one of the the general consensus of of a lot of films we've seen is the idea of someone feeling that they are smarter than the world or smarter than nature or more. And so there's a lot of stuff where people are walking into a situation where um, they feel that they have, whether it's religion, you know, Christianity, or whether it's like science, they have that kind of you know, billowing behind them, and they come into the situation where it's like, "No, bitch, <laughs> you're fucked," and that seems to be, regardless of culture, that seems to be something that we've we've seen a lot from from Vi, from um, I'm trying to think, uh, the Borderlands to um, Lake of the Dead. Even that's like a huge conversation point for that to. Um, even with, uh, like Matty Doe's movie where it's like the kind of the different cultures and the different ways that people are, um, feeling that they are above maybe believing in monsters in the jungle and no, the monsters in the jungle are real and your faith in science, or your faith in like wealth or your faith in Christianity or whatever the case may be, isn't going to save you.
1: Yeah, and I guess there's definitely a lot of like that kind of looking at abandoning faith and what, ha- mm. and, like, not even, and not faith in the terms of like Christianity, but, you know, believing in ancestry and, and yeah, believe in, and like, and where you come from. Like, especially, you know, we saw that in Maddie Doe's film. We, um, kind of, we see that in Borderlands a little bit. We also see it in, um, fuck fucking lost it it's okay but like in all of these movies really though you kind of see like what happens when you forget folklore and when you leave mm-hmm. the past behind and when eyes a fire as well yeah as a fire i mean it's it blood and satan's claw kind of a little bit too like it's just going mm-hmm. back to like this world that is dominated by nature and the other forces and no matter what you try to do to like rationalize it it's not you can't.
0: Sometimes like, there is a
3: giant worm and you go through its anus.
1: It's, you know what? Sometimes <laughs> there is. Sometimes you need to feed a human being to your weird underhill worm god or it'll start fucking shit up psychically, is how I took it. I feel, I feel like I, my perspective is it was a weird psychically angry worm. <laughs> it's I was, honestly, I love it anyway. Yeah. But then, okay, so now that we are done with full horror, Terry, what are we going to next?
3: Well, Mary Beth, I feel like we have watched a whole lot of very serious and thematic content. And I was thinking, you know, maybe we take it a little lighter, hopefully, and a bit more uh, silly in places. So we're going to go and visit horror comedies. And I think... Dark comedies, parodies, straight horror comedies, I think we're going to try to maybe touch on them all and maybe kind of dig through time on and see how they've evolved as the horror genre has evolved. And so I think we're going to start off with the one of the granddaddies and one of my favorite movies as a kid that I have not seen since I was a kid, Uh, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein.
1: Ooh, I haven't seen this. So I'm very excited to watch it.
3: I, lo- I loved it as a kid, and there are moments of it that are still, like, ingrained in my head, so I can't I'm, – I'm excited. I'm excited to see if it lives up to what I remember it being.
1: Yeah, and, like, I also don't know a lot about horror comedies, like, early earlier horror comedies. Mm-hmm. I'm not, like, as well-versed in that, so I'm excited to watch a lot of them and kind of see how the genre, subgenre evolves.
3: Yeah, awesome. Uh but who are we talking to on Monday, Mary Beth?
1: Uh on Monday we are chatting with the writer and podcaster Prince Jackson, and we are talking about Candyman. What was the movie? Shut up, I will not be saying it again. <laughs> the, man <with> the, <laughs> the man with the candy.
3: The man with the candy.
1: The man with uh, the
3: candy. It was a great conversation and we learned a whole lot about Prince. Uh in terms of like him want at, at originally going to school to be a mortician. So we learned a lot about him. We learned a lot about Candyman. We learned a lot about Chicago. It's a great conversation. And I'm really excited.
1: Yeah. So look out for that on Monday. But uh, listeners, you've heard from us. We want to hear from you. Did you watch something that we watched and have thoughts? Do you have suggestions for horror comedies for mm-hmm. us to check out on our journey?
3: Please hit us up.
1: But well, please send us an email, scarredflifepodcast at gmail.com, or reach out to us on Twitter. I'm at MB McAndrews.
3: I'm at Gailey dreadful,
1: And don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter, at scarredpodcast.
3: And it's been a minute since we've got a review. We've gotten a couple ratings. We're at 95 out of 100 ratings and reviews. We would my really weeding, like to get my to. Weeding.
1: My leading? What the fuck? <laughs> my birthday is in two weeks. I want to get to 100 by my birthday. Please? Please, I told yeah. you I'd tweet 100 pictures of Tiramisu if we get to 100 by my birthday.
3: She did. And we're five away, people. We're
1: five away. We can get so many pictures of my cat.
3: <laughs> make, anyway. him, make her internet famous.
1: I know. Uh, well, thank you, Derek Power, for our artwork. <laughs> thank you, to Sean Keller, for our music. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy.
3: And until next time. <laughs>